Hey there, downtowners. It is the podcast, Downtown the Podcast, episode number 93 from the Zone Radio Studios in Bangor, Maine. Rich Kimball, Carrie Haskell with you. Our daily show, Downtown, originates from right here every weekday afternoon from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Zone Radio stations of Maine, streaming audio on our website at downtownwithrichkimball.com. We're brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. A couple of interesting conversations coming up for you this week as uh, we talk with uh, noted physician, health expert, and a New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Neil Barnard. His new book is called Your Body in Balance. And uh, we'll learn about some healthy eating habits that could uh, make a difference to you, whether you're healthy or not, but particularly in uh, dealing with some common health problems for both men and women. That's in the second half of the podcast. In the first half this week, uh, well, I would say a certified comics legend, uh, Jimmy Palmiotti, who has done it all as uh, an author, inker, producer, and has really been on the cutting edge in the comics world for uh, more than two decades now. He really has. From the time he spent with Joe Quesada working on Marvel Knights through the reinvention of Harley Quinn, the sort of groundbreaking work that he did with Justin Gray on Jonah Hex, uh, right up to the current day of, of self-publishing via Kickstarter, which is is a huge outlet for comics creators these days. Yeah, and working a lot with his wife, Amanda Connor, and really producing some great stuff. Yeah, they've worked on Power Girl, Harley Quinn, one that is not very well known and, and you can't talk about a whole lot on the radio called The Pro, but the people that know that that one shot are uh, very, very fond of it. I mean, it's a podcast. We can talk about anything <laughs> here, right? <laughs> it was sort of a take on what, what happens when a hooker gets superpowers. Who hasn't wondered that somewhere exactly. along the way? Well, a very interesting conversation, and in many ways uh, made possible through our conversation last week with actor and writer Jonathan Sheck. And when we tweeted out the interview with John and the podcast went out, uh, Jimmy Palmiotti uh, commented on it, talked about how much he enjoyed it. So we saw that, reached out to him, and he said, would be happy to do the show. And, well, here's what happened when we caught up with Jimmy Palmiotti. Jimmy, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, it's my pleasure, Rich. Thank you for having me. Well, we have to give a little credit to uh, to Jonathan Sheck, who was on with us uh, last week. And uh, you commented on the interview. We saw that and, and reached out. And uh, it's great to have that connection. How long have you been friends with John? Um, I'd say like a, a little over a year now. I mean, we, we got in contact with each other when he was playing Jonah Hex on TV. And then uh, last time I was out in L.A., we kind of made sure we got to meet each other and hang out and talk. And we've been talking ever since. He's just a, a super talented, sweet, wonderful guy. You know, just he's, he's uh, one of those people you meet very not very often in your lifetime. So uh, I'm making sure to keep in touch with him. He's just great dude. Sure is. Well, when did you first know this is what you wanted to do with your life? Um, you know, when, when I was younger, I, I wanted to draw comics. I was more drawn to the artwork of it. And um, I think it wasn't until it wasn't when I was in high school. I went to the High School of Art and Design in New York. And when I started seeing what comic book artists were making for a living, I said, well, maybe this isn't the job for me. <laughs> um, they, they did not make much money. And um, I went into advertising. And I did very well in that. But when I turned 30, I, I still felt like I, I still wanted to do comics. 
and I wanted to give it a shot. And I got, so I really got into getting professional work in my 30s, and I've been working ever since. But I, I think it's just, it just came from having comic books around the house. Um, uh, uh, growing up with three brothers, you, you kind of had to have your own time away from uh, them, and I would take my comics, sit outside and read them, and nobody would bother me. Um, and, and uh, you know, of course, these wild worlds. I read, you know, superheroes and westerns and action comics, and, you know, it, it just opened up a, a world of um, just an intriguing world to me, and, and I love the visual representation of storytelling, so I, I just I fell in love at an early age. Well, Rich has already mentioned Jonah Hex, and you mentioned growing up reading those westerns. The, the run, the six-year or so run that you had on Jonah Hex with Justin Gray was just a great revival of a character that a lot of people had really fond memories of. Um, and at the time, it was sort of a return to the single-issue story format. It, was that like uh, just an intention right from the start that you wanted to go back to that type of storytelling? I did for a couple of reasons, too, because it came out monthly. Uh, when you have a, a book that's monthly and you have an artist, they have to hurry to get the book done every time. And I figured if I didn't, if we, if we, if Justin and I presented a done in one format, a story, one story per issue, we could actually write ahead like six or seven stories and have different artists working on them. And because of that, it, it took off pretty well. And because of that, I got to actually use artists that, other people wouldn't touch because they couldn't keep a monthly schedule or they or they were too hard to wrangle. And, and because I was working on the character Jonah Hex, all of a sudden out of the woodwork, all these really amazing artists said, oh, you know, I, I'd find time to do one of those. And so when we were into the run, our initial run was 70 issues. We, we had so many artists lined up uh, doing work. It was fantastic, you know, and... and um, yeah, so 70 issues of uh, a Western written by a guy from Brooklyn and another guy from White <laughs> Plains was a pretty interesting uh, interesting time. But it, I loved the character when I was a kid. I read it when I grew up. So I said, one day I'm going to write that character, and I got lucky enough to do it myself. Hey, you mentioned the artists sort of lining up to work on that book, and, and it included some of the artists from you know that, that had worked on it in the 70s. How, how much of a... How much of a treat, I guess, is the word I'm looking for? Was it to work with those guys oh, that had done the book that you grew up with? Yeah, I mean, Tony Desugnia was a co-creator uh, of the character. And uh, when I first started writing the book, I ran into Tony at a convention. And, of course, I gushed and I bought some artwork from him. And since I was a huge fan. And we got to talking, and I said, would you ever want to do another one? And he's like, absolutely. So we created a hardcover. We did a hardcover book for Tony to draw, which was 120-something pages. Um, it's, you know, it is the cool, the, the probably the, the most fun part of my job is I get to work with guys like Tony, and uh, at, at the time, he's no longer with us, but Darwin Cook and Dick Giordano, and these are like superstars for me. So the idea I was, we were writing something for them was really intimidating, um, but not intimidating enough that I would pass on it. So... Uh, <laughs> You know, because I didn't want to, I, I figured once in a lifetime opportunity, I, I better step up and get to work. And, and uh, I, I just consider the whole thing very lucky. And, and DC Comics, God bless them, they, they knew Jonah Hex was not a big seller. Westerns are very hard to sell in comics. But I was told by them, you know, it's such a good quality book. Even, even though the sales aren't really where we want it, we're going to still keep it around. So they, they really stuck by me, which was a great thing. We're talking with Jimmy Palmiotti here on Downtown. Well, we're, we're in a golden age for 
comic book movies, but I'm curious. We know what comic books have done in creating story ideas for the movies, but but what's been what's been happening in the other direction? Uh, has it has it also elevated the source material and created more opportunities for artists like yourself? It's funny. I have you know, so I have a lot of um, creator owned things. I, I my paper films company that. Uh, like Painkiller Jane and Ash and The Crow and stuff like that, and we do get a lot of interest from Hollywood. They they uh, initially they like to change everything. You know, they want to buy it and then change it. But it's getting a little better out there. It's still tough because you know, uh, again, um, with these properties, they have no problem mining what we do. But they definitely a comic book is usually only written like one writer, one artist, or maybe two artists on it. So it's a very focused and intimate thing that's created. And when you talk about things translating to film or TV, we're talking about hundreds and sometimes a thousand people working on it. So, um, and I've done work in the business. I've done screenwriting. I've had some plays. I've, I've done worked on TV shows and stuff. But the the comic creating the comics is such a pure uh, medium to me that I will never not do it. I, I love when you know I love seeing Harley Quinn, The Birds of Prey. On, on, on the screen, you know, seeing the work that Amanda and I did. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, okay, but I don't own that. Um, so the real satisfaction comes from creating something from scratch and, and seeing it uh, developed. But it is, look, there is a, they're, they're mining us for ideas because, let's be honest, how many different TV and cable stations are there now? They need content. So comic books have always been the origin of a lot of content, and it just makes sense. Do you find yourself uh, getting it all protective of those characters that you've drawn yourself so close to i do i i uh you know with harley quinn i was lucky because uh, christine agroded and uh margot uh robbie they love the character and love the book and i mean it's a couple of times we talked with them and visited them they were extremely loyal to, to the character um i do get protective because when jonah hex was made um I did everything I could to try to get involved with the production. I, I was like, please hire me to consult. Please, please, please. And, um, you know, it's the reason you're making it is because our book is doing well. So, um, but that wasn't the case. And then when the film came out, of course, it's disappointing because they lost track of who he was and they were trying to fit the character into some other thing. Uh, it, it, and, and of course, comic people are very loyal when they see the characters getting changed. They make a lot of noise about it. Um, you know, the Internet is definitely not the quiet place. Uh, so they, they're very vocal about things. But yeah, I, I, I am protective about everything, but I also understand that I have to let a property have a life somewhere else. So when I do work with people, I, I, I am the first person to go, you know, that's not a bad idea. As long as we keep to the core of the idea, the, the character, then we can explore these things. So I, I do love to work with people, but um, as long as they kind of keep the core of the character, it's very important. I have to agree with you on that Hex movie. I've, having read it for Hex for, I don't know, 40, 40 years or so now, maybe even longer, that, that was such a, a disappointment. But um, that's a character that I feel that, that does feel like it would lend itself to a, a, a series. Yeah, how it's not, uh, how Warner Brothers has not made it into an HBO uh, weekly series mm. or something, I, I, it's beyond me. With, with Jonah Hex and Tallulah Black, this is the stuff that, honestly, I feel I can take the done in ones we did and make them, in, make them into our TV uh, programming so easily. I just, 
think that their focus is in the superhero world, and I'm hoping eventually they get to Jonah. Uh, uh, so I just, yeah, I'll sit and wait, you know. It would be nice to see. Oh, now, you made mention of, uh, of paper films and uh, the Kickstarter projects you've done. You've done a, a dozen or so of those right now. The current one yeah. is uh, Creator-Owned Heroes, which is a collection of works uh, by some of the just huge names in comics, Neil Gaiman, Bernie Wrightson, the Hernandez brothers, uh, along with interviews. What was the genesis of that project? You know, uh, when you have a lot of friends, you can do things easily. And uh, so everybody in that book was somebody I knew, and I called in favors. But I wanted to create a, a monthly magazine-slash-comic book that came out. And, and, you know, we got eight issues in, and it wasn't selling what it should have. The resellers didn't get behind it too much. And uh, so it had a short lifespan. So I just did the, I just finished the Kickstarter to, just to do a digital collection of it. But it was my idea of I, I love to read comics, but I, a lot of times I feel like for the 3 or $4 you pay for the book, sometimes the experience goes by really quick. Mm. So I wanted to, I was doing for the same price, I was creating like 64 or 68 page or 72 page books for the same price where you would actually read the story and then you'd read an interview with the artist and then you'd see an article on how to create comics or cosplay and stuff like that. I, I, I got really aggressive and it was probably just the timing was off on it, but everything I do like that, I, I kind of try, I experiment, feel out the market. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it doesn't really stop me from trying. So, um, and that's where the Kickstarters come in because I can put an idea out there and the audience will tell me if it's good or not by how much they support the uh, project. What does uh, make Kickstarter, the, that platform, such an important outlet for comics creators today? It's, it's a grassroots thing because every person that backs your book, you get to, their name, their, their email, you, you have to, you, have to uh, you know, you, you start a relationship with them. So you get like this. So the people that support my Kickstarter, they come back to all of them. I pack up their packages. So I see familiar names and I throw in something a little extra or I write a personal note and saying, hope you're doing well. Hope to see you again in San Diego. I love the idea of Kickstarter because I can experiment and do some ideas that normally would not sell or would not be something the companies were looking for, the bigger companies. And, I also have this connection with my audience, and inevitably with the, each Kickstarter, they tell me what I should be doing and what I shouldn't be doing based on the reception and how much they support each project. So it it is something that's very unique, but I will say most a lot my, a lot of the people in my business don't have the patience or they don't like packing up a thousand packages, and I get it. But I'm a, I'm a little aggressive, so uh, I, I definitely. I don't mind it. I, I, I have a Zen-like experience when I'm, when I'm doing that, so it's all good. <laughs> so what's next for you and Amanda? What can we be looking forward to? So we have out, out tomorrow, we have uh, the Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey miniseries we did. So the first issue hits tomorrow. And if you've seen the movie, it's sort of like the next time Harley meets the Birds of Prey. Um, and Amanda drew the book. So we have those four issues coming out of the Black Label book from DC Comics in the stores tomorrow. And we also do, we also, every month we write a short story, a done-in-one Wonder Woman story for the DC 100-page books, which are available in, like, Walmart and Target. And the uh, core of these books are to get comic books to people that don't normally have comic books, you know, that don't have a comic book store 
They don't have access. So these done-in-ones are done with a whole bunch of pages, and they're very cheap. They're like four ninety-nine uh, books for 100 pages of story. And that's the basic that's the basic thing we're doing now. We're, we're fo- Our main focus is uh, Holly Quinn and Wonder Woman, getting, getting to do two of the biggest uh, icons of the D.C. library right now. So it's a pretty good time for us. Those books remind me a lot of uh, like World's Finest and Adventure from when I when when I was real young reading comics, where it just gives you a nice sample of a lot of different stuff. Yeah, I think I you know I love them because I love the idea I can pick up one book for a low price and read it for hours. Yeah. Um, and it is it's a childhood experience we had, except it was a quarter when we were buying them. <laughs> <laughs> Now, along with yeah. all the characters we've already talked about, you've done a lot of other Marvel and DC characters. Is there one from from those two publishers? You know, is there one character that you haven't had a shot at that is just like on your dream list? You want to take a shot at that character? I would actually in DC. I would say I'd want to do Power Girl again mm-hmm. with Amanda. I'd I'd want another shot at that and to do a miniseries with them. For Marvel, it's funny because I worked on almost every character. They have. So, um, you know, there was a time when I was doing Marvel Knights and, and doing uh, uh, publishing through them and helping them out when they were in Chapter 11 that I got to do Daredevil and The Punisher mm-hmm. and Being Humans. I got to work on all these books. Um, but I still, I still maybe because I've never written The Hulk, it might be fun to write The Hulk. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I, you know, it's like every day I get offered stuff and I look at it and I say, do I really have something to say about this character or can I find the voice and as I get older I'm realizing I turn down stuff because I'm not the right person which is a lot different when I was young and I took everything they ever offered me <laughs> to do on you know because I thought they'll never call me again let me do this so I've been getting a little pickier but I, I, I think they're just great libraries but I think my main focus is creating my own characters probably in the future that's probably going to be where my energy is going to go Well, Jimmy, it's great to talk with you. Thank you so much for making some time for us this afternoon, and we hope we can do it again down the road. Oh, I'd love to. Thank you so much. This is a a lot of fun. Jimmy Palmiotti here on Downtown, the podcast. A very interesting conversation, a guy we we definitely need to get back to go into even more depth with. Absolutely. Uh, I've got so many uh, things I could talk to him about that we could could do a couple of podcasts just with me and him and you (laughs) conversing. Yeah. Yeah, good guy. Very interesting to talk with. Uh, When we come back, some ways that food can have a positive impact on your health and well-being. New York Times bestselling author Dr. Dr. Neil Barnard coming up next after this word from Cross Insurance. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. No pills gonna cure my ill. I got a bad case of loving you. Back on downtown, the podcast, well, whatever is whatever your bad case might be, whatever's ailing you, a great way to fix it might be the food that you eat. That's the subject of a new book 
by Dr. Neil Barnard. He's a faculty member of the George Washington University School of Medicine, president of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, and is the author of a number of books, including Dr. Neil Barnard's Program for Reversing Diabetes, The Vegan Starter Kit, and his newest, Your Body and Balance, The New Science of Food, Hormones, and Health. So it really is a wonderful book and some eye-opening information here, and, and I guess starting uh, right with the headline, which is what you eat can have a huge impact on your hormones. Yes, and that in turn can affect so many aspects of our health. Sometimes people feel run down and tired and they don't know what it's about, or a young woman has uh, terrible menstrual pain every single month. She doesn't know what this is about. And people never think that it could be that their hormones are not in balance. And more importantly, that all of that depends on what you eat. And I know it's a totally new idea that foods could control your thyroid hormone or your insulin or your sex hormones or whatever, but they can. And when they do, your your health can change just dramatically. Well, and I really like the way the book is organized, that you address some specific health problems and concerns. And, and let's start with this idea. Can you explain how your diet can affect fertility? Yes, um, a bit of a surprising thing. Uh, researchers, maybe starting with men, uh, researchers went into fertility clinics and they looked at men's uh, fertility, specifically their sperm count. And what they found is that those men who tended not to eat cheese tended to have real high, higher sperm counts. They did better. But men who really had a taste for macaroni and cheese or cheese pizza or whatever tended to have low sperm counts. And they thought maybe it's the estrogens in the cheese that came from the cow. Um, so that was one issue. And then a related issue is it turns out that even just uh, a man's ability to perform sexually is, uh, I'm speaking of erectile dysfunction, is related to narrowed arteries. It's not related to um, performance anxiety or something like that. And that, in turn, is related to food. Uh, if a person eats a high cholesterol, high-fat diet, one of the first signs of artery disease is erectile dysfunction. Now, speaking of, for women, we see the same kinds of things where women who consume more dairy products tend to lose their fertility more rapidly. So who knew? We, we had no idea. And so many people are spending a fortune at fertility clinics trying to deal with this issue when the problem may be what they're eating. One of the things I found fascinating as a certified middle-aged guy is how uh, what you eat can also uh, help reduce your risk of prostate cancer. Oh, and that is so important because so many men get, get prostate cancer. Um, and it, for some men, they don't get it until they're 85 years old, and it grows very slowly. For some, it, it arrives much earlier in life and can be much more aggressive. Um, and there are certain parts of the diet that are protective. Uh, tomatoes uh, and watermelon mm. and anything that has that bright red color, that's lycopene, which is an antioxidant that substantially lowers the risk of prostate cancer. So that's a good thing. And, and uh, unfortunately, dairy is again on the bad list here. Uh, it's researchers at Harvard showed that men who uh, tend to avoid dairy products have a much less risk of getting prostate cancer. Here again, there's kind of themes that, that recur where hormonal problems do seem to be more common in, in people who are consuming dairy. Uh, for a lot of years, people have touted the benefits uh, of omega-3 uh, fatty acids, fish oils in particular, but in your research, you found that that can also contribute to prostate cancer. Yes, and we don't know why. Um, at first, the results didn't seem believable. 
Um, you have a health-conscious person who's taking omega-3s or eating a whole lot of fish or whatever, and, you, and what you discover is that those men with higher omega-3 intake, they have a higher risk of prostate cancer. And at first, we thought it just had to be a mistake. And to this day, we don't know what the mechanism is by which it happens, but we see it uh, consistently in, in research studies. So we have come to believe it. And it's one thing to try to eat healthy foods to uh, ward off disease, particularly cancer. But this is, to me, really eye-opening information that there's evidence out there that even after cancer starts, what you eat can determine whether or not that cancer advances or regresses. This has been well-documented, particularly with breast cancer in women and for men with prostate cancer. Uh, And the the, the bottom line here, the, the big theme is eat your vegetables and fruits. Um, whole grains and beans, plant-based foods seem to really help. And the more you get away from the meats, dairy products, eggs, fried foods, fatty foods, uh, the better off you're going to be. So the the four groups that I really emphasize, the whole vegetable group, the fruit group, the bean group, and the whole grain group. So if you're going out for dinner tonight, go to an Italian restaurant and instead of the meat sauce on your spaghetti, have the tomato sauce. Or if you're going to a sushi bar, Instead of the fish sushi, have a cucumber roll and the miso soup or the sweet potato roll. Or at the Mexican restaurant, instead of the meat taco drowning in cheese, have the bean burrito. Hold the cheese. So they're, they're simple choices, but they add up into a huge benefit. We're talking with uh, Dr. Neil Barnard. The brand new book is Your Body and Balance. People have also talked about the benefits of olive oil, but as you point out, uh, it, it may be better than some fats, but it's still a fat. It's still a fat. Um, it's definitely better than chicken fat or beef fat, that's for sure. And when I say better, I mean olive oil does not have so much saturated fat compared with, say, chicken fat or, or cream or something like that or butter. Um, even so, if a person is trying to lose weight, they're better off keeping all fats, including olive oil, to a bare minimum. And let's talk about women's health a little bit more. Uh, what foods are good for women hoping to... Uh, reduce some of the effects of menopause? Um, you know, there are all kinds of supplements, and many of them don't really seem to work very well. Black cohosh and others, don't, they, it's really not clear that they help. However, the one that does seem to, to benefit women with hot flashes are uh, what are called soy isoflavones or soy proteins. Um, and some women will just have soy-based foods like tofu or soy milk or soy yogurt. Uh, those kinds of things, and some will pick up a, a tub of soy protein that they sell at the health food store. In either way, uh, maybe 40 or 50% of women find that their hot flashes are perhaps not completely gone, but really dialed back, and uh, you can give it a try. It's, it's, there's no risk to it. We have a real epidemic in this country of diabetes, and a, a number of things that can help along the way, as you point out, avoid animal products, uh, keep oils to a minimum, and favor low glycemic index foods. Can you explain for people who may not know what that means? Yeah, you bet. Um, this comes out of research that we did starting in 2003 for the U.S. government, um, where we tested different diets to see what was most effective. And the healthiest diet does have exactly those three characteristics. You avoid the animal products completely. So I'm going to turn you into a vegan. Um, Keep oils very low. But the low glycemic index foods, these are just foods that don't perturb your blood sugar too much. So white bread could raise your blood sugar. Rye, not so much. Or pumpernickel, even less. Um, If you're having, uh, if you like sugary desserts, have fruit instead. Fruit has less effect on your blood sugar. 
So those are a few tips, but the, the, the most important thing is getting away from the meats and the, the cheeses and things that I grew up with and most of us grew up with, but that really do cause these problems. And the book does not offer just uh, advice for uh, middle-aged folks and older folks, but even for the young people. And, and I love that you addressed uh, one of the age-old rumors out there, urban legends, if you will, and that is chocolate. Does chocolate actually cause acne? I think it actually does. Um, <laughs> just as you said, you know, adolescents always suspected it. And there was a research study done in Philadelphia years ago that uh, said, no, we really can't detect it. But we now think it was a flawed study, um, and that there have been a number of studies since that time that do suggest that it is an issue. Uh, and adding insult to injury, it may not be just the chocolate, but chocolate is often milk chocolate, and the milk may be a contributor as well. And food, and I think people who, who are aware of what they eat, whether it's keeping some kind of a, a food journal or just thinking about uh, what they put in their bodies, know this already. But what you eat can also have a profound impact on your mood. We did a research study with GEICO, the, the car insurance company, years ago. Uh, be, and we only did it because there are offices near my office, and we wanted to see if people's diabetes could improve or their weight could improve. But what we discovered is that while, and we instituted a low-fat, healthy, vegan diet at work, and it, people liked it a lot, and they did really well, and they did lose weight. However, we noticed to our surprise that mood was improving. Specifically, depression was getting better and anxiety was getting better. Um, and in fact, job absenteeism fell. So um, we think that it's because the foods are improving the gut bacteria, which I know it sounds funny, but if you have a healthy gut, People very often, it, it helps their mood as well. Um, and it also seems, the diet also seems to reduce inflammation, which in turn helps the brain. And if you're trying so, to make some positive lifestyle changes, and, and you talked about this a little early on, but uh, there's a nice little, nature provides us with a nice little color guide out there. It does. Um, you know, your retina has the capacity to recognize antioxidants. I know that sounds funny to say, but you can be, 200 yards away from the produce uh, uh, aisle at the grocery store, you can still see the beta carotene in those bright orange carrots um, and the lycopene in those bright red tomatoes and the anthocyanins that are in the grapes and the blueberries. Those are antioxidants. So if you eat for color, you'll, you're going to get healthy foods. Uh, we talk about superfoods, and people throw that word around a lot, and I don't know that there are real superfoods, but but... Would beans be a contender for that title? They certainly would, because the, the, the humble bean, which our grandparents knew all about, but, but people nowadays kind of neglect them, um, not only are the cheapest thing in the store, but they have, they have protein, they've got iron, they've got calcium, they have soluble fiber and insoluble fiber, and even a trace of omega-3 fats without any cholesterol or saturated fat. I thought a very interesting chapter in your book, and, and a frightening one as well, as when you talk about the existence of environmental chemicals that can find their way into our foods. And it's surprising. They're in so many things. One of the more peculiar research studies was done at Harvard, where they asked a group of, group of volunteers to have some Progresso soup. And it was just a vegetable soup, but what they discovered was that the volunteers ended up having, in their urine tests, you could find a chemical called BPA or bisphenol A. It turned out it was in the lining of the can. And so um, the, the Progresso company, by the way, um, is aware of this, and they are presumably transitioning away from the use of BPA in the lining of the can. But 
you can go to the health food store now and you will see cans that are BPA-free. And you might want to avoid it because it's linked to uh, hormonal issues. It's what we call an endocrine disruptor. Uh, and different people disagree as to how dangerous it is, but it's already advised that kids stay away from it. But you go to the store, you buy a can that's BPA-free, and you take it to the cashier, and you hand the cashier your credit card, and you walk out uh, with your credit card slip in hand and the can in the other hand. What you don't realize, as you're crumbling up that credit card receipt, it, it was printed on thermal paper that was BPA-coded also, and it's now going through your skin into your body. So there are environmental exposures all the time that people may not be aware of. And so in your body and balance, I not only talk about foods, but also how, about how some of these environmental chemicals can get into the food. One of the fringe benefits of keeping your body in balance is that uh, a lot of physicians have found uh, a number of patients who have had success simply by changing what they eat that allows them to avoid prescription drugs, the whole pharmaceutical industry, and stay off medications and, and let let nature and healthy diet do the trick. That's really true. And in this book, I'm, I'm touching on perhaps three particularly large areas, three or four. I'm going to start off with what I'm going to call the sex hormones, estrogen and testosterone. So for a woman who might have really bad menstrual cramps or endometriosis or PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, uh, or a couple dealing with infertility or a woman dealing with hot flashes, that's where I want to get the sex hormones back into balance. Then we'll talk about thyroid disease. So if you're hypo or hyperthyroid and it's changing your energy level and making you not feel like yourself, we can get thyroid hormone working better with different food choices. We talked about diabetes already, and there's nothing more important than that. And then let's get your mood functioning so that you can feel well. And it's amazing when people realize, wait a minute, I can control my basic body chemistry <laughs> by based, on, based on food choices. It's not perfect, but it's pretty powerful. Well, it's a wonderful book, Your Body in Balance, The New Science of Food, Hormones, and Health. Also, some great recipes and menus to help you plan some lifestyle changes uh, from Lindsay S. Dixon. Uh, Dr. Neil Barnard, the author of this uh, brand-new book, really is a wonderful read. Thank you for your work, and thank you so much for talking with us about it today. It's been great talking with you today. Thank you so much. And our website is pcrm.org. That stands for Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, pcrm.org. Excellent. Thank you so much, Doctor. Thank you. New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Neil Barnard here on Downtown the Podcast, talking about his new book, Your Body in Balance. Thanks to Dr. Barnard and thanks to Jimmy Palmiotti for visiting with us this weekend for you as well. Join us next time for Downtown the Podcast brought to you by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength.